Welcome to Feed Matters, Feed Navigator's new podcast series focused on exploring industry challenges and concerns, along with highlighting developing topics. I'm Erin Einstein-Curtis, and this week we're speaking with Dr. Scott D., Director of Research for Pipestone Applied Research, part of Pipestone Veterinary Services, about the work that has been done to track the spread through feed of diseases like porcine epidemic diarrhea virus, or PEDV, or African swine fever. And we'll be hearing more about the ongoing research seeking to find ways to stop the spread of diseases in feed and prevent new foreign animal diseases from entering North America. Dr. D, would you tell us a little more about what started the interest in looking for diseases to be present in feed and your work establishing that they could survive during transboundary transport? As somebody who's who's, uh, done a lot of experimental disease work, it's really hard to reproduce what PED did. So it, it made us think a little bit about the role of feed because feed is, is obviously coming into farms every day. There's no biosecurity plan for it. And just all the different geographies and the rapid spread um, just made people start asking that question, what about feed? So that was kind of where the industry was in 2013. In 2014, our Pipestone group uh, discovered and published the ability of contaminated complete feed to be transmitted to naive pigs following natural consumption. So that was the first proof of concept that this virus in complete feed, if consumed by pigs, could cause the actual disease. We, we recreated the disease. We, we had clinical signs. We had lesions. It was a slam dunk proof of concept. It was good to prove that because then the industry could okay, draw a line in the sand and say, well, <clears throat> if feed gets contaminated through natural means, this cross-contamination from a lot of environmental virus, it's a possible vehicle to move it into a farm. The, the thought of moving it between countries, the idea for the transboundary models <clears throat> that simulate movement of products from country to country and has obviously been expanded from PED into other viruses, ASF included. That came from an observation I made with Dr. Gordon Sprunk, who's one of our veterinarians in Pipestone. He's the chairman of our board. And Gordon took me to his brother's feed mill and he said, look at this. And he pointed to a bag of choline that had come from China. And the, the, the manufacturing date and the date of the visit to the mill that we were making at the time were only about two weeks apart. So this stuff had been made recently in China. It had already uh, got into the United States and was already on the farm feed mill. It was already being used in rations to be delivered across the, the, the various enterprises that mill fed. And that observation made me think about the role of ingredients that could be contaminated in China and then be just be moved over to the U.S. in these feed ingredients through natural doing of business. And that, that was the genesis for why we went ahead and started looking at what we call the transboundary spread of the disease using these, these models at uh, Iowa State University, I'm sorry, South Dakota State University first and then Kansas State University as it pertains to ASF. 
those are kind of the, the, the seeds of, of everything, where all of this came from. What I like about it is it's been reproduced and replicated and expanded upon by several universities and many scientists. And it gives me confidence that the observations we made and the work we did was correct. But once you were able to see that this was sort of a possible entry method, what do you see that maybe meaning for the biosecurity side of things, or maybe what do you see that changing in terms of the considerations that are being made with these feed ingredients that, or complete feeds that may be coming in from countries mm -hmm. where there's an active disease outbreak that we've either not never had in the U.S. or that we really don't want to have again? As, we, as the work went on and others got involved, we started seeing that this feed risk, particularly soy-based products, certain products were very protective to certain viruses. And so I, I just jotted a little list here as I'm listening to you. This work in feed has now been expanded across, originally with PED, African swine fever, Seneca virus A, pseudorabies, classical swine fever or hog cholera, as it's known, and foot and mouth disease virus. So various groups, uh, Kansas State, Plum Island, FDSU, collectively we have all looked at these different viruses and we have found that this isn't just PED. This isn't just an issue for ASF. This is an issue for five to six. But I, I could put PERS virus on that same list. We, this is an issue for multiple viruses. Some are domestic, some are mm -hmm. foreign animal disease viruses. So it, 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 we're, the one thing that's coming out of all this work is that there's a growing body of evidence showing that feed is a risk as a vehicle for moving these viruses from place to place. And it's not just one or two, it's multiple viruses. So that's a really important thing to realize. Some of the work hasn't been published yet, but it's, it's close to it. It will soon be out. But uh, within a few months, the list of viruses will be expanded upon extensively. So that rolls nicely into your question on mitigation, because now we're talking about a multi-pronged risk factor here. And kind of where the industry has landed in the mitigation arena, and some of this work is still underway, but there is some work being done looking at what can be added to the feed to potentially kill the virus or reduce the load. Uh, we're doing some of that work. University of Minnesota has done some. Kansas State's doing some. The other option is we, the, the country, the, the industry, has developed what we call a responsible imports approach, where we realize there are certain ingredients that are only made in China and we have to bring them in safely because they're not made in the United States. And the, several, quite a few organizations now, in, in the, and I'm trying to get my arms around a percentage, but I'd say the majority of, of, of the large operations in the, in the United States, including those in Canada at a national level, have developed a program where the materials enter the U.S., they go into, uh, into the, and they're going to a specific company's mill, for example. They'll go into a holding zone. They'll go into a, a facility that stores the feed 
for an extended period of time because as these viruses don't live and feed forever, especially mm -hmm. if they're kept at warm temperatures, they die out quickly. And the ability to store ingredients from China for, say, 30 days at 68 degrees Fahrenheit is what a lot of the industry is doing now as a way to increase the, uh, just say, the, the viral load, the reduction in viral load as it dies off over time. So we call that responsible imports because it's a, it's a scientific way to safely bring in products that are essential for formulation of diets for pigs. The third option of control would be some type of restriction, uh, government-based mandate or control program. That's what they have in Canada. They've got a, a national program where feed from ASF-positive countries, high-risk ingredients, as they classify them, go into storage areas. And they sit, again, for a period of time at a specific temperature before they go into manufacturing milling facilities. So the Canadians have actually jumped on this real fast. Back in March, they started this national program. And I was thrilled because here's a, a country that took all the work that we all had done and really put it into play on a daily basis. And I really commend them. And I think that's what that's something like we need here in the U.S. and Mexico needs to do because this is a continental effort. It can't be just one country in the continent. Otherwise, it's at a high risk of failure. Could you tell me a little more about your ongoing research funded by the Foundation for Food and Agricultural Research, or FAR, assessing the use of feed additives as potential mitigating agents when disease is present in feed? Yes. Yes, this is a project that's ongoing. Uh, we're leading it in our Pipestone research team. Uh, it has been funded by FAR, as you mentioned, also by Swine Health Information Center. So there's, there's federal money. There's also monies from the various companies that have sponsored uh, their selected products for testing. And we can't test against ASF in my laboratory. It's only a BSL-2. So we use PERS, PED, and Seneca virus as, as viruses we know that live well in feed and are transmissible through feed. And instead, then we hand that information off to Dr. Niederwerger at KSU, and she can actually then work with the actual ASF virus. That's moving right along. 11 products tested so far, uh, four more to go probably for the end of the project. Very interesting observations. First of all, all three of these viruses, PERS, PED, and Seneca, are easily transmissible through feed. Every replicate we've run, we have one room of 100 pigs that gets feed without any mitigation, and we drop an ice block containing the, these three viruses into the bin, and it flows into the room, and the animals eat it. The, no problem moving the those three viruses into what we call it the positive control room with, with feed that have not been mitigated. Every replicate, boom. But the other thing we've seen with the 11 mitigants is they're all better than doing nothing. You know, if you look at the positive control room at doing, as, as doing nothing, any type of mitigation that we've tested so far is significantly superior to non-mitigation. And there doesn't really seem to be a great deal of difference between the products. This, this test set up to look at product A versus B. It's really look, to look at mitigation, yes, no. And 
So what we're seeing, though, over and over, we've done four or five of these replications now that build up these 11 products. Gosh, the mitigants really have a beneficial effect, even in the face of infection. If we, even if we can find the virus in some of these pigs that are eating mitigated diets, see mortality, we superior gains. We don't see clinical signs of PD. We don't see PERS. We don't see Seneca. But we know the virus is there. We found it in the feed in their rooms. We found it in their mouths. We found it some of the times in their bodies, but we don't see the clinical effect. And so some, the mitigants are doing something. Either they're reducing the amount of virus where the pig can handle it, or they're maybe boosting the immune system or doing something good. I don't know what it is. So the good news there at the end of this all, the, one of the goals of this project was to test whether mitigations are beneficial. And if so, give the producer a list of options that he or she could select from based on cost, based on mill logistics, based on level of risk tolerance, and give them, give them options. Um, these are all very different products, and, and some, some require different milling, um, I should say equipment, for example. That's, that's the cool thing so far, and we've got, as I said, we've got at least one more round, and in the end, I think we'll have 15 products tested and uh, hopefully the story will continue. Yeah, no, it's, um, it sounds like there's still, I, I mean, it sounds like you're having positive results, but you're not maybe necessarily winnowing your list of questions. Yeah, <laughs> obviously we start thinking about um, different inclusion rates and mm-hmm. is, is, can we lower the amount and see benefit. And sometimes we have tested products at different inclusion rates and it appears that that hasn't had a deleterious effect. We've been able to see positive results even at lower rates. Um, it makes you wonder if you had infection in the room already and the viruses were moving in the population and you fed the feed, feed what would that do to the spread of the disease or the, or the, or the clinical impact? And finally, it, it makes you wonder what's the mechanism of action? Why, does this, why do these products appear to work independent of chemistry? Is there, I know you said you have about um, sort of like one more round, another um, set of, of mitigants to sort of examine initially. Is there a sense at this point in time that there will be maybe like a second round to the study once this piece has concluded? You know, I think this, I think that we're going to come out of this, the data are going to be so strong for the the rationale, the justification, say, for, for using a mitigant, mm-hmm. I don't think we're going to need to repeat it anymore. I think we'd have to look at, obviously, the, the application would be across the U.S. industry. There needs to be a, uh, a mitigant in your feed. It'll just, for like, maybe for a secure pork supply or something like that. You want some type of insurance policy, say, on your mm-hmm. feed because we've shown that so many viruses can survive and there's a vehicle for so many pathogens, both domestic and international, it might pay the producer to have it in the feed, at least during the high risk periods of the year. Yeah, that's kind of where the outcome, as far as the application, that's probably what the data will will sing out loud and clear. So it's sort of like treating the possible potential for disease contamination the way you might be concerned about mycotoxin contamination. That's okay. exactly right. You, you, can handle, you can think of it the same way as, as, a, as a mold mycotoxin 
management plan. Do you think this line of research has changed the way that industry members think about how diseases spread? Well, no one ever thought that viruses could live in feed for extended periods. In fact, we were told they couldn't live in feed for extended periods. And, and nobody ever thought that we'd be talking about holding times and, and moving feed like we do breeding stock, you know, from country to country with certificates and inspections at the facilities of manufacturing and storage, putting it in a quarantine. You know, it's changed the whole world as far as how animal feeds are moved from place to place. And it's raised awareness that the risk is high for viral movement of mm -hmm. many types through this medium. Do you think that's something that, um, I guess, is likely to remain uh, maybe remain a factor in terms of feed movement for, I guess, into the sort of foreseeable future, the, this idea that there does need to be a biosecurity element or a an awareness that feed has to be treated carefully or more carefully than maybe it was done at previous times? Exactly. Exactly. That's where this is all going. And uh, the credit to the industry is that we haven't had ASF, and the industry is responding very well. Mm -hmm. A lot of the wine production companies already have all this in place. And a credit to, the, uh, say, the American Feed Industry Association, too. The, the feed industry has been very proactive because we don't have the disease. They took a lot of flax for PED because we'd already got it. Now that we don't have ASF, I'm really proud of the companies that are producing vitamins and minerals, uh, how careful they are with their quality control and how transparent they are in what they do to reduce risk of contamination. Because it's not so much the, the processing. I, I think the, feed, the, feed, the ingredients and such are manufactured in very, very proper conditions that would kill the virus. But it's cross-contamination after the manufacturing plant we have to worry about just from the environment. That's what we saw with PPE, and should ASF enter, it'll be the same thing. That's what we've seen in China. So credit to the feed industry, credit to the, the swine industry. They're, people are really jumping on this and getting their ducks in a row. And uh, I think that's one of the main reasons we've been able to keep this thing out so far. I had seen, I think, an interview that you had done a little while ago where you talked about the potential that ASF has actually already come into or been imported maybe into North America. It just hasn't made it into the swine industry yet. Do you really think that it is something that may have actually already entered? I'm based on, if you look at the data, and again, it's experimental data. It's not real-world data. It's, it's a model in a laboratory that we've purposely inoculated and we've kind of simulated the movement and see if it's still alive. But we've used representative transport times. We've used representative ingredients. We've used representative temperatures and relative humidities that ingredients would experience as they move from land across the ocean. And you look at all this, the, the high degree of survivability of a number of these viruses we've been talking about. Um, I'm, I'm quite confident that this happens on a regular basis, that these viruses come into the ports, they're at that level, they 
they, but the good news is they haven't gotten into the pig national herd yet. And I think a lot of that is the credit to how feed is being managed now, but also the biosecurity level we have in the United States across the swine farms. So it's hard to argue that the virus, these viruses at some time have not at least landed on shore. Um, look at PD. PD eventually got into the pig herds. We're a lot better because of PED, biosecurity-wise. And again, that's probably why we're keeping some of these things out. But it's it's like climate change. You know, you can't. The data are so strong, you can't really argue against the fact that these viruses have probably already landed. It's probably multiple times over year after year after year. It it probably happens regularly. The industry is getting changed on a regular basis, and that's that's the mentality we have to have to keep up our biosecurity practices as stringent as we can. So, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll say I still think the same way, and uh, I just credit the producer and the producers for for doing the best they can. And more we do now with feed control, mitigations, holding times, those types of things, the better we're going to be. So we got to we got to improve. We're not there yet. We still have to get a comprehensive national program organized for, for controlling these diseases in feed, because all it takes is one uh, to get things rolling, and then we're all in trouble. We all lose. Everybody loses should ASF get into the national herd because our exports get shut down that day. Yeah. So yeah, as a microbiologist, I, cl- I clearly I can't argue with the data for industry members um, or companies going forward, knowing that this is a distinct possibility, knowing that it this is a disease or other animal diseases could be things that are imported on a regular basis. What can be done um, or should be done to essentially keep them away from the herds? Let's start at the grassroots level. Biosecurity at the farm, every producer following all the rules we know for PERS, PED, those viruses are, if we, I think we can beat a lot of this if we just keep up the biosecurity at the farm based on those, those biosecurity levels for those viruses. So that's number one. Number two, the, the millers need to be educated about the risk of feed. And so we can, we can help with that, but I think that the best education is the veterinarian who takes care of the farm, goes to the mill, together the, the, all, everybody looks at, you know, what are the ingredients you're bringing in here? Do you have any ingredients from infant positive countries? And if so, how are you managing those ingredients to reduce risks, i.e., do you have a responsible imports protocol, or can you use, or can you substitute ingredients or get them from another source that's safer. So at the farm, at the mill, then I think the research community in this area of feed has to continue to get funds to continue to expand the science and grow the body of evidence that says, you know, this is a risk factor. Here's here's all of these papers that have been published, and they're all saying the same thing, is, is certain ingredients are high risk with certain viruses because that's the information the government needs to really look at this and say, you know, there's enough information here and it's been done right. We really should look at this as far as do we need to somehow develop a Canadian-like program 
Do we need to look at restricting somehow certain ingredients from high-risk countries, the ones that really look like we may have the ability to protect, which is sort of the soy-based ingredients first and foremost. Those, those would be the four steps, I think, that beginning at the farm, then going to the mill, and then the educate, the science, and then the, the government, all, all of us working together to develop this national plan and, and get, get Mexico on the same page. So from the keep it out perspective, you know, trying to do everything you can to make sure it doesn't get in, that's important. Obviously, the work that the Customs and Border Protection does looking at the meat, which is a different topic, it's the same deal. You know, that's, you know, there's getting more agents, more dogs. That's a huge risk as well, probably higher than the feed. And so that's going on, too. And then we're having these practice exercises. Should the virus get in, what do we do? All that's really good stuff that a lot of people should be complimented for their effort on, on those. So it's, it's good to see it proactive. You know, we don't, have a, we don't have the virus in the national herd. What, let's learn what to do. You know, what, what else can we do to keep it out? The beauty of doing this, the, all this feed stuff we've talked about, the beauty of it is it just won't help us for ASF. It'll help us for so many other viral diseases that we don't have. And it'll help us in the country with the endemic diseases that we have. So this, this, is, this, got, this has so many complementary facets to it. It's almost like it's becoming a no-brainer. The quicker we adapt a national program and the quicker we adapt, you know, and continue to expand, I should say, the mitigation efforts in the country, uh, the better we're going to be.